Amen. Amen, Lord. Just to think where we would be if it weren't for you. Some of us would be in hell. Some of us would would be in jail. Some of us would be drug addicts and alcoholics, perverts. Lord, just to think where we would be if it weren't for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. My heart cries out to think where I would be. But you saved me out of that darkness and brought us into the marvelous light, as you heard Matt say up here. Brought us into the, from the darkness into the marvelous light. Lord, someday, the last enemy to be defeated is going to be death. And Father, what a day that's going to be. I used to say I'm going to be jumping for joy when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire forever. But Lord, I think death, death is the last enemy. I can't wait till that's totally abolished and people in the flesh do not have to die, but they don't have to die in the spirit. All they need is Jesus. So think where we would be if not for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Before we get into communion, while Matt was worshiping up here and you guys were worshiping and watching on back there dancing in the spirit and coming up front and more worshiping and Dan's hands in the air. Everybody over over the internet, I'm sure you saw Dan's hands in the air. You know what? I thought of that song, you know, Mercy Me song. It says, um, oh, that's on my cell phone. Where did I put my cell phone? Here it is. I, have, I, I took the lyrics off the internet this morning. You know, a lot of churches have problem with dancing, hands in the air, doing stuff like that. But you think about it, well, this song just covers it all. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk beside your, by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Feel? Will I dance before you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? I will sing hallelujah. Will I be able to sing at all? Man, inspired words from the Holy Spirit. You know, Mercy Me didn't write that song. The Holy Spirit did. But listen, we can dance before the Lord. David danced. Joshua and Moses fell at his feet, took their sandals off. We don't know what we're going to see when we see him face to face. But I know one thing's for sure. Every one of us will see him face to face, whether it's in entering into the kingdom of heaven or being standing before the great white throne where you will be judged for not receiving Christ as your Savior. Oh, what a great and mighty God we have. I can guarantee you one thing. I wouldn't be up here if, if he didn't if he didn't come and save me. That's for sure. Um, well, we're gonna take some communion now. If you wanna, uh, if you deacons can come up and pass out the elements. If you wanna turn to Matthew 26, verse 26. Easy one to remember. You want communion verses? Matthew 26, 26. Thank you. 
the Lord's Supper. The Lord institute, institutes the, His Lord's Supper here today. We're, we, you know, Jesus was at the Passover, the last Passover when He was on the earth. Verse 26 of Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is at the Passover. He is transforming the Jewish Passover to the New Testament communion. Passover is deliverance from Egypt or redemption from Egypt, and communion is redemption from sin or deliverance from sin. Passover looked ahead to Messiah's ministry, and here we see Jesus performing that ministry and instituting that ministry, and he looks, and it looks back Communion looks back to Messiah's ministry and what he did on the cross for us. Passover is a shadow of things to come. And communion is the substance of Christ that is already here. The broken bread that we're going to partake from is communion with the body of Christ. The, the cup that we're going to share is communion of the blood of Christ. In every church that believes in Jesus Christ as Lord, they take communion, and it's served there. The wine or the grape juice represents forgiveness and atonement for our sins. See, Jesus is going to make atonement or provision for our soul through his blood. Because we know the scriptures are very clear. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. It had to be done by a sinless person. And there is no sinless persons. So God had to do it himself. The bread represents healing for the body. God even made, the Lord Jesus even made provision for our body. A lot of Christians don't quite get it we take communion all the time and we forget about the bread by the stripes of jesus we are healed peter tells us about the stripes of jesus we were healed so we're talking about that's why jesus took those stripes so the provision of our body you can call upon him for healing of your flesh as you take communion today remember that remember the blood the wine represents the blood which represents that your sins are forgiven. And the bread represents the, the agony the Lord took and the pain he took from the beatings, the punches in the face, the pulling of the beard, the crowning of thorns, the nailed to the cross, the whipping with cat of nine tails. It represents the beating that he took. I don't know about you, but if Jesus took all those beatings that I might be physically healed. I want it. I hope you do. And I'm not saying, I said if, 
It's not an if. It's done. He already has healed us. The problem is we need to believe, and we need to believe stronger, and we need to get rid of the other things that hinder sin or hinder the healing, unconfessed sin, um, unforgiveness, and things like that. So as we take from this, this, as we eat from this cracker, remember, Jesus' stripes on his body are for your physical and spiritual healing. Let's partake together. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, do this in remembrance of me, for his blood will be poured out for many for the remission of sins. If you really believe this, that Jesus came, he died, he's buried, and he is risen, then you have eternal life. And let's rejoice together as we partake of it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We can't, we can't begin to think of, the, of what you went through that night. All the trials, all the beatings, all the harsh words, all the rejection, all the pain. But most of all, the agony you suffered when you were separated from your father for the first time in all of creation. Lord, we remember your death. Every time we eat our breakfast, every time we eat lunch, every time we, we go to dinner, every time we eat at the snack, we think of your broken body and your shed blood. More than three times a day, I think you tied it in perfect, Lord, as we eat. Strengthen our bodies. We have to remember you and what you did for us. And Lord, we don't take it lightly. We thank you. Thank you so, so much. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. 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 All the time. Amen. Remember, we're doing a series that I called it About Face series where the church needs to know we're in, we're in the fourth, third or fourth chapter, third or fourth lesson, I guess you should say. And lesson one was um, there is no way to faith except through repentance. The church don't like to hear that word. We kind of like our sin, unfortunately. And we pay the penalty for it in our own body. But there's no way to faith except through repentance. First of all, you've got to be confronted with your sin. The Holy Spirit came and he confronted you and, uh, with, with your sin. He will prove us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Number two, we'll have a revelation of who Jesus is. Someday you might be walking down the road and all of a sudden you have a revelation from the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is God. 
He just thought he was a statue that was somebody put in a church. Then you come to the conclusion, well, if he is God, then I need to acknowledge him. I need to acknowledge him. I need to confess him before men. I need to go home and tell my mother, my sister, my brother, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my enemy that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And then, in doing so, you're actually confessing with your mouth that Christ is Lord, and you're actually believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is necessary. If you don't repent, you will meet, you will not meet the Savior. You'll meet the judge. If you do repent, you will see the Savior face to face, and we will rejoice with him. We went through the that part. That was like lesson one, about face. It's time for the church to about face and do an about face to get... Get back right with God. The church has slipped away. We have fallen from a high place. The church used to be excited. They'd be telling people about Jesus. Now we're, the church is silent. The world doesn't even get to know our Savior like the times of old when the preachers went horseback riding through the world telling people about the Savior. We need to come alive again. Last week we talked about some basic training that the, that Christians need. You have to be well equipped to tell people about the Savior. If you're not, you can always use your testimony. It always helps because if something did happen to you, we learn from basic training how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, how to use the, the shield of faith. Basic training is something necessary for every Christian. We call it discipleship in the church. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples. And to make a disciple, you have to win a convert. Do you understand that? So, okay, we can win converts, but if we don't disciple them, what happens to them next week, next year, next month, 50 years from now? I had an old man tell me one time, I asked him, he was on, he was 90 probably, when I was a younger guy, and I asked him if he ever accepted Jesus as his Savior, and I knew this guy because I was a young kid growing up, and he was an alcoholic, he used to bounce from bar to bar. And my dad was a barber, so my dad knew just about everybody in town. And when he, I was older and I was all grown up and he was in his probably late 80s or early 90s, he was telling me that he keeps forgetting things and I pulled out a track with the face of Jesus on it and I says, I hope you didn't forget him. And he puts his glasses on, he looks at it, he reads this track front and back, which was a prayer confession. He sticks out his right hand and he shakes my hand. He says, yes, I have. Thank you for reminding me. 
For all those years, he walked away from the Lord, but he knew him from the beginning. It's time that Christian churches should not, or Christian people should not be satisfied that they're saved. God has given you weapons to make disciples and wants to make a disciple out of you. How many of you ever carried your, you carried your infant baby that was just born, but when it was old enough to walk, you stopped carrying it after a while because the baby got too heavy for you. You expected that baby to walk on its own. And that's what God expects of us, the disciples. He expects us as we grow up, he expects us to walk on our own and call upon him all the, t- all the days that we walk, really. And that's what j- j- training is, discipleship training, being trained up in the Lord. It will be like a, a, a soldier in the army. You know, he learns how to march he learns how to stand at attention. He learns how to march forward. He learns how to fight. He learns how to use his lessons. He learns how to do the the uh, the crawl, the doggy crawl. He even learns how to do the dead cockroach position, which I was in a lot. <laughs> you know, on your back with your legs and hands up in the air like you're dead because you didn't do it right. Listen, the church needs to be trained. I call on this lesson reveille. It's a call for the church to wake up. It's a call for us to wake up. Second Timothy 2, 3 and 4 was our passage last week. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier, listen, in active service, entangles himself in the affairs of this world. Why? Because he wants to please the one who, is a, who has, has uh, enlisted him as a soldier. You want to please Jesus Christ. Listen, the church today is involved in all kind of different things, but they aren't involved in active Christian service. They go to church on Sunday. They read a devotional here and there, and that is it. That is not active Christian service. We should be out there every day feeding the hungry, praying for the sick and the lame, giving a cup of water to those that are thirsty and going into their prisons and telling them about our great Savior Jesus. Many Christians today, they think that the world is their playground, but it's really a battlefield. As I mentioned to you many times, if you read Daniel chapter 7, you will see a picture of the war of all ages that is still raging on, but we have forgotten it. The devil was out there making great boasts and blasphemies against our God. And the church is sitting in rest and relaxation in the church. We were told to go into the, the, uh, the per, uh, per into the stronghold, but we weren't to stay there. The church is your stronghold. That's where you get strengthened and refreshed. That's where you, you grow in the knowledge of the Lord, but then you aren't supposed to stay there. We're supposed to go out into the world and lead people to Christ and, and make disciples of them. These people did it. 
And they're still doing it today. Voice of the Martyrs. Everybody in America, they think, oh, man, I can go to church. They call me a Jesus freak once in a while. These guys are dying. They're dying for the gospel's sake. I look around. I see the bars flourishing right now. The churches are empty. We're at half mass right here, right today. The bar people aren't afraid of sickness and disease. The church is empty. You know, this might be a strong statement, but if you're in war, there's a possibility you can die. There's a heavy possibility of that. Well, why is the church hiding? Shouldn't we be the ones that have the courage? Shouldn't we be the ones just asking questions? I'm not saying it's wrong. I think there's an element of wisdom and common sense involved in it. But I think the church needs to get back into action. Jim Elliott, remember him? Went down to Ecuador, to the Acua Indians, I believe it was. I don't even know how to say their names. He prayed for them for six years. And when he finally got there with, with his four other partners, these Indians killed them all, all five of them. That's how much he loved the gospel of Christ. And it's a whole book of more. Look at her baptizing in countries where it don't even allow the gospel to be preached. These Christians aren't sitting in R&R. They're risking their lives every day. And so should we. We have walked far, far away from God in the United States. And that's why I put the sign up front. It says, wake up America Come, it's time to come back to Jesus. Time to come back to Jesus. We have walked so far away from God in the United States that it will take us a lifetime to undo the damage we've done to our own lives. It took me a long time. It took me about three years to conquer alcohol. I still got strongholds from back in those times to this day. I try to keep undoing, undo them, undo them. We have so much ground to make up, and we have to restore the years that the locusts have, have eaten. And instead, when we do get saved, we're, we're trying to undo what we had done in our lives instead of look for the other people. And we need to start looking and preaching and getting out of the stronghold of the church. When you go out tomorrow morning, or even this afternoon to lunch, why don't we pass out tracks to the waitresses and stuff? I used to do that. I made a special track for that one time. We actually printed hundreds, thousands of them. And I give them to everybody when they go out to lunch. It was called the best tip you'll ever receive with a French waiter handing a check to somebody. And then it had the whole gospel plan in, in, on that track. And people got saved by it. I knew a guy that was the son of a guy that worked for me. He worked at the restaurant right out the road. And I was talking to his son about Jesus one day, and I handed him a track, and he says to me, oh, I've seen that track. We got pilots bouncing around all through the Eaton Park where he worked. It was called Eaton Park Restaurant. Big Boy. You ever hear of Big Boy? He already saw it and read it many times. So other Christians were out doing that. That's what we need to do again. 
One time I was at Amy Grant or, or and uh, Michael W. Smith concert. I'm going back, way back. Thousands and thousands of Christians in the Soldier and Sailors Memorial Hall where Amy Grant and, and Michael W. Smith were playing. That was in their beginning years. They were both hits right off the bat. Thousands and thousands of Christians marked out of that, marched out of that hall, and none of us passed a tr and that I know of passed a track out to anybody or even talked to anybody about Jesus. We have an whole army of God gathered in one place, and we leave there and scatter, but forget to bring the gospel with us. I'm just telling you my failures in my life. I was in that crowd. It's time for us to wake up. It's called reveille in the army. Here it is, Romans 13, verse 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time, that knowing the time, that now is high time to wake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness, put on the army of light, armor of lights, and let us walk properly as in the day, not in reveille and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Reveille is a wake-up call in the army. The trumpets go off, and it's morning. Morning is right there. The light has come. Reveille is a wake-up call for us. It's time for the soldier of Christ to wake up to that sound of the trumpet call because this could be the last day. This means that we have, have so much time, only have so much time to wake up. You're given so much time, you're a half hour, whatever it is. From the time that bugle blows, you better be out in formation in the dark with your full gear on. Ready to go forward if God calls you to, if your sergeant calls you to go forward. You need to full, be fully awake. You need to be fully at attention, all of us. When the Lord says a ten hut, go to Brazil, you go to Brazil. He says a ten hut, I'm sending you to Africa, you go to Africa. If he says give $100 to that missionary over there, give the $100 to that missionary over there. He says... He says, uh, once you're in that for formation, you know, you're standing there like this, head eye, chest out. Man, you're ready for battle. You're all packed up to go. So I don't see the church like that today. I see some like that. I guess people aren't going to like this message too much. I hope people out there do understand what I'm talking about that the preachers have been too silent too long. You know what? The way the church is today, do you know that's a, a failure of the pastors? That's a failure on their part. That last trumpet's better to, ready to sound. Look at it says here. Our salvation is nearer than what it was at first. Do you agree with that? 2,000 years ago, they were waiting for Jesus to come back. And don't fall into that, that group to say, where is the coming of his, the promise of his coming? He's coming. 
He said he was coming the first time, and he certainly is coming the second time. He says, you know, wake up out of sleep. Your salvation's nearer than when you first believed. I'm going to say 43 years ago. I'm 43 years old, more closer to the coming of Christ. That's the way I look at it. Um, The day is at hand. The night's spent. Night's over. It's time to wake up. The darkness was before, I guess, you know, Christ was born and crucified. Now the light has come. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, you're the little lights. Go and reflect me to everybody that's out there. Don't hide your light under a bushel or under the bed. Take it and go forth. The day is at hand. Cast off the works of darkness. Some of us, by the time we could say we're so far into sin, we need delivered from sin. Some things are so strong. Crack, alcohol, drugs, lust, perversion, pornography, all kind of sins out there. And we're supposed to cast that off. We're supposed to put on the armor of light. And that is the Lord Jesus. I guess you know that, right? He's your armor. We're to walk properly. You know, churches aren't doing that today. Oh, if you're gay, come on in. We'll accept you. Hey, God loves you. And I love you. But don't bring your sin into the church. It says right here that you need to cast off darkness. There is no church of the gay people or church of the alcoholic or church of the pervert. There's only one church. It's the church of Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and risen the third day. It's only one church. We need to wake up. The church needs to wake up. We're not to walk properly. Some Christians aren't walking properly. We have a lot of problems going on. Don't walk in revelry or revelry or drunkenness or in lewdness. I've heard Christians tell lewd jokes. I refuse to laugh at them. If it's this funny, which caters to my flesh, I'll just walk out of the room. Coarse jesting. Sarcasm. I hate sarcasm. Because it's an element of truth in there. You're just trying to drive something home that you should be loving your neighbor. Last trumpet's about to sound, church. The night is over. The daylight has come, and the trumpet's about to sound. And you should be already dressed in your armor. The armor that we learned about last week. You know, the helmet of salvation that protects your mind and your eyes. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and a boastful pride of life. They're not from the Father, they're from the world. Well, that helmet protects you from that. Then the breastplate of righteousness. You call smoking crack, smoking grass on your patio where your where your kids can see you, drinking alcohol and getting drunk. Do you call that? Um, do you call that living properly or acting properly? I'm sorry, it isn't. The Christian church today looks so much like the world you can't even tell them apart for the most part. 
not all churches. I'm just talking about the whole church as a whole. The whole church as a whole, the Methodists, the Protestants, the Catholics, the Baptists, the, you know, the, all the other denominations out there. Anybody that believes the way we believe, it's time to get back to the basics of your church, which is nothing else but Jesus crucified, dead, buried, and risen. It's as simple as that. You got to put on your armor of light. Some Christians, though, you know, just like army people, they didn't like what they have to do, so they go A-W-O-L, A-W-O-L. They go AWOL from what they're supposed to do. And they're classified by that as either being lazy or a deserter. So, are you AWOL from the Lord? Am I AWOL from the Lord? Have we deserted what God has called us to do? Every one of us has a gift, or some of us many gifts. And he called us to use that gift. So whatever your gift is, use it. We're going to be getting into that as the lessons down the road. Deserters are lacking courage, but the true soldier never quits, never quits. Remember Eliezer, 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10? Eliezer was in a battle in a, in a barley field, and there were so many Philistines around that the army of Israel took off, and he was left there in the barley field all by himself. And as the Philistine came and they attacked him, he slew them all with his sword. So long and so hard did he fight that the sword was so stuck to his hand. He couldn't put the sword down if he wanted to because it was stuck to his hand probably from the grip, the sweat, the blood. The soldiers of Christ aren't supposed to quit supposed to keep on going on. I can relate to Eliezer because I was a sign painter most of my life. Well, not most of my life, but half of my life. And I used to have a paintbrush in my hand with lead-based lettering enamel, the best you could buy. And I would paint so much that that my that paintbrush, I could oh, take my thumb off of it and that paintbrush would be stuck to my fingers. And sometimes the, the paint would run down and I couldn't even move my thumb. But that's the way we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be deserters on, on the Lord Jesus. We're supposed to rush into the battlefield, stay there, regardless if your brother wants to fight. Let him walk away. Don't go AWOL. Eliezer didn't go AWOL, and he became one of David's mighty men. I believe he was number 17 or something like that. Soldiers aren't ones to shrink back because if you shrink back, you're really opening yourself up for destruction. But I find the church, what I call, instead of a wall, a will. They're absent within the light. We're absent within the light. We have the light shining all around us. Jesus came. He died. He's buried. And he is risen. And we're absent. We're, we're absent within the light. It's a shame. If the church is sleeping, and many of them are, they can't speak, they can't teach, 
They can't think. They can't walk. They can't fight. They're asleep. What can you do in your sleep? Nothing but sleep. If you aren't ready for the enemy, he'll defeat you right off the bat. You're done. So the church needs to wake up out of sleep. You need to put off Christ. Put on Christ. Here it is. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Isaiah 59, 17. I mentioned it last week. God goes into battle. 59, 17. When God goes into battle in this chapter, he puts on righteousness like a breastplate. Breastplate of righteousness. And a helmet of salvation on his head. And he puts on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. When God goes out to battle, he's zealous. He's going to win this battle. He's wearing his helmet. He's wearing his breastplate of righteousness. And this is God. God. When he goes to battle, he puts the armor on, but the Christian soldier takes it off. He doesn't wear his breastplate of righteousness because he's a pervert, or he's in sin, or he's just a chronic liar. Or he isn't living the way he should live. That's what Jesus mentioned, the, the parable about the ten virgins, which you, you remember. Five of them had oil and five of them didn't have oil. They didn't have enough oil to wait. Well, they took their armor off. They took off. I believe the, whole, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Was that telling me that they ran out of oil of the Holy Spirit? So they had to go get more oil. They had to come back and repent. By that time, it was too late. They were left behind because the bridegroom showed up and the ones with the oil in their lamps that were ready, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were taken and the other five were left. And when they begged to come in, God said, No, the bridegroom said, No, you can't come in. It's too late. There's going to be a lot of people in a lot of churches left behind when that trumpet sounds. The last trump, that is. Because salvation is nearer than when you first believed, church. There's an urgency about the time to wake up out of sleep. There's an urgency to it. You can see it in America. America's going down the gajuda. I think that's my mother's Italian word for toilet. They're going down fast. It's an urgency. We've got to wake up. James 5, 8 and 9 says, You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. How much closer than it was when Jesus was walking the earth? The coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain. Brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. That means the Lord's ready to come, just waiting. Father, can I go get my bride now? Can I go get my bride? Revelation 22, 10 through 13. Salvation is nearer. And he said to me, 
Do not seal up the words in, of the prophecies of this book, for the time is near. Let each one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last and the beginning and the end. He's coming, church. Actually, in chapter 22, he tells us three times that he's coming quickly. That's the last chapter of the New Testament. In the last verses, three times. So, in other words, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3 plays a part. He said, at the acceptable time, God listened to you. When you were calling out to him for salvation to be saved, or when you called out to save him to save your marriage, or to keep you from getting killed out in Afghanistan, that means when you called out to him, he listened to you because you're still here. And he did what you said. He's saying, now that I, you know, at that day I helped you, he says, now is the day to respond to me. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. He says, remember, remember me. You called out to me, I answered you, remember me and come to me. That's what he's saying. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Everybody out there, look over your entire life. Try to figure out how many thousands of times you called upon the Lord and how many thousands of times he answered you. And now it's time for you to answer him by saying, yes, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I repent of my sins and I come to you as my Savior. The last trumpet's about to sound. This is what he's saying here in this chapter. The last trumpet's about to sound. And the church needs to wake up. And the congregation needs to wake up. The soldiers need to be afraid no longer. Get out into the battlefield. Use whatever gifts that you have to, to uh, bring people to Christ. Soldiers. The church today, do not be afraid. Take courage. Take courage. The Lord is your buckler and he's your shield. And I mentioned it earlier. The bars are packed. The restaurants are packed. The church is empty. Who do you think designed that plan? It wasn't God. It had to be the devil. And since you have authority over devils, or did you forget? I had a person tell me yesterday that, that uh, they told somebody they'd just come and cast out the demon. And the people in the church went, what? Listen, if you don't know that you're a Christian and you have authority over the devil, you don't read your Bible, you don't go to church, or you, have, you need to get a set of hearing aids. Because the church, the, the Word of God is filled with Scripture that tells you you have authority. Listen, here's God stand, standing, sitting on his throne. The devil's here. The saint is there. And God says, hey, okay, devil, go do what you want. No, no. No, you know what he says? I rule in favor of the saints. 
That's actually scripture, you know. Daniel chapter 7, verse 26. God, when the great of days took the throne and he heard the, heard the blasphemies and great boasts that the, the big horns and the little horns were making against God, the Ancient of Days sat down on his throne and he made a judgment and he says, I rule in favor of the saints. It's time for the saints to possess the kingdom. So what do Christians do? They run away from a devil. I fight devils all the time. Some of them kind of win sometimes because I wasn't fat quick enough or fast enough. Especially when you're sleeping. I've woken up many times in my sleep fighting something. My wife didn't even, I don't know if she never mentioned it, but a couple of times I'm swiping things, you know, and I always sleep the other way. So, you know, I mean, fighting devils all the time, but you're a saint. God is going to protect you just like you will protect your child. You are his child if you're a saint. And just like any parent, and even though they're evil, they know what to do, they know what to give good gifts to their children, any parent's going to rule in favor of their son or their daughter. He ain't going to rule in favor of the, the, uh, the, uh, the, what do they call that, the bad kid? The, um, okay, how can I lose my thought like that? Huh? Yeah, one of them, but I was thinking of another word, but he's a juvenile delinquent. He's going to listen to his son before the juvenile. That's the same thing. The devil's juvenile towards God. God ain't going to side with him. He defeated him at the cross. He made an open spectacle of there, triumphing over him. He smashed his claws. He shattered his teeth. He don't have nothing to hang on to. If you, unless you give it to him, then you open a door. And if you open a door... The devil's going to be glad to grab on to it and come in. Somebody said that to me the other day. What do you mean I opened the door? What does that mean? I said it means that there's something that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. And he gave the devil a, a, a way in. You know, Jesus disarmed the enemy, Colossians chapter 2. Okay, I think it's verse 14, 15. Jesus disarmed the enemy, but you just gave him a bullet to put in his weapon to shoot back at you. No. The scriptures are very clear, soldier. There's no weapon the devil can form against you that's going to prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, and that accuser is always referring to a devil, okay, you have the authority to condemn. What did Jesus tell us when he left? I give you authority, all authority. Mark 10, 19, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing, let me say it again, nothing shall by any means hurt you. That means he can't take you out. The devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Well, the devil comes to kill, steal, kill, and to destroy. But I'll tell you what, that was B.C. That was before Christ. Jesus has the keys to, to hell and death, Revelation 1, 17. He said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I was dead and I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to hell and death. That means the devil don't have them anymore. That means when you go to heaven, it's going to be because God wants you. Not because the devil killed you. Now, the devil can make a suggestion, tell you to jump off a bridge. And if you listen to him, in a way, he 